That's Matthew chapter 11 and verses 1 through 6 and reading responsively. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. May God have blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, as we look at the life of John in prison, Lord, I pray that you might speak to our hearts, dear God. Lord, there's people that have been in prison here within the sound of my voice, Lord, not literal prison, but some, I guess, literal, but Lord, in other ways, prison of our own making sometimes or other people's making. We pray, the Lord, you'd speak to our hearts, we pray. Bless our children downstairs, bless our teens as well. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
Amen. 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 Let's stand once more. We're going to go to 179 and sing Fill Me Now. At this time, children, children, workers, you can be dismissed to Junior Church as we sing Fill Me Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Brother Dave, for that piano playing. Thank you for that special Calvary's Love. I love that. That's a great song. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 11 this morning again, if you would, please. While you're turning there, let me just make a commercial. Pastor Caleb will come at the end of the service here and give us a few announcements, but let me double plug or begin to plug the month of November. It's the month of Thanksgiving. I said, why, why have just one day of Thanksgiving when you have a week of Thanksgiving? Why have one week of Thanksgiving when you have a month of Thanksgiving? We look forward to a number of special Sundays in the month of November. It's my favorite month if I have to pick a favorite month of the year and uh, accepting the snow that might come. But uh, other than that, it's a great month, month of Thanksgiving. We'll have our, our dinner together, our th Harvest Thanksgiving dinner. I believe it's the 12th. And then, of course, we have our sac Sacrifice Sunday offering. We'll talk more about uh, Sunday always before Thanksgiving, of course. And then we'll have a special Tuesday evening, Thanksgiving Eve, Eve service, as we call it. Uh, the Tuesday, obviously, before Thanksgiving. We're in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. The Bible says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, when John had heard in the prison, most of you know the story. This is John the Baptist. John spoke against Herod because he had his Brother's wife, Philip Herodias was her name. He had her as a, his personal lover, of course. He had his sister-in-law. And uh, there was a feast, a wild feast that was put together by Herod and his princess, of course. And Herodias' daughter danced in front of it. It was no doubt a lewd dance. Danced in front of Herod and da danced in front of the, the princes there, of course. And Herod was so... Filled with lust, of course, he said he'd give anything to uh, this, uh, this temptress, of course. And, and uh, she asked her mother what she might uh, have. And her mother said, yeah, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And uh, who would ever think that uh, we'd be in a day when we're beheadings has become normal again, of course. And the last eight days here, what's happening in Israel, of course, even with children. 
horrendous to even talk about, but it's nothing new. It's been happening for thousands of years, and John is going to lose his head. I, this is John the Baptist. And who is John the Baptist, for the record? Without going into great detail, he's the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He's the six-month-older cousin of Jesus Christ. He, he's, when he heard the news when he was in his mother's womb that the Savior would come and be born, the Bible says he leaped in his mother Elizabeth's womb, and uh, he's filled from the Holy, with the Holy Ghost since, from his uh, inception, of course, and conception, I should say. Uh, he preached repentance uh, to the house of Israel and prepared the way of the Lord, of course, the coming of the Messiah. He published the, the fact that the Messiah would come and set all things right, of course, and uh, talk, he talked about the kingdom of heaven, of course. But when Jesus was baptized at the age of 30, this is obviously about a year or so before this event and before us here, and he said he held out his finger, I believe, and he said he baptized in the River Jordan, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. He knew who Jesus was. He knew he was the Messiah by all accounts. He vividly witnessed at the, his baptism then the coming of the Holy Spirit like a dove and the voice of, from heaven just saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He knew who the Messiah was. Now he's in prison. Now he's in bewilderment. Now he says, he sends two of his disciples, verse number verse number 2, chapter 11 of Matthew again, and I got to verse number 3 a couple of weeks ago, I was reading in my Bible reading, and I got to this verse, and I said, that's astounding. It arrested my attention. And said unto him, this is his two disciples, John instructed them to go to Jesus. He says, art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? In other words, he said, am I wrong about who I thought you were? I thought you were the Messiah. I've preached you for years now. You're my cousin in the flesh, but born of the Spirit of God, of course. And are, or do we look for another? Maybe you're not the Messiah. You know, I want to talk about this morning when you lose your faith. We're saved by faith. And no, without faith, you can't be saved, for, for without faith it's impossible to please God. But I want to talk about the subject of when you lose your faith, first of all, two bullet points about disciples and doubt. When you, when you have doubt in your life, I want you to notice, first of all, that doubt can happen to, with, with, his greatest, with the greatest of believers. Doubt can happen in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 11. Slide down to there if you've got your Bible open to chapter 11. Jesus said, and we didn't take time to read verses 7 through verse, actually 13, we should have read through. But Jesus said, verily, or of a truth, I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said, out of all those that are born of women, Jesus was born of a woman, but not of a, of a man. He not of the seed of man. He was born of the virgin birth, of course. And uh, he said, of all the billions of people on planet Earth throughout the centuries, he said, the greatest man in the history of the kingdom of God is, is none other than John the Baptist the baptizer of Jesus himself, the baptizer of the disciples, of course, the one that preached repentance and uh, encouraged Israel to come back to the Lord. Jesus says there's not a greater than John the Baptist. Uh, even great believers, if John the Baptist can lose his faith, I would dare say that anybody in this room could lose their faith. John the Baptist could lose his faith. Elijah could lose his faith. We go back and 
In, in 1 Kings chapter 17, we see Elijah's in confrontation with the prophets of Baal and how he slew 450 prophets of Baal in one day. And then he requested to die in first, the next chapter, of course, when Jezebel, the queen, came after him. He said, it's enough. And he requested to die. David, we looked at David a few weeks ago in one of the messages we had. In 1 Samuel 27, the man's of God's own heart. And it said, David said in his heart, one day I shall now perish by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me, seek me anymore in, in the coast of Israel. I shall escape out of his hand. If the man after God's own heart could lose his faith, if the man, the, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, arguably the man Elijah could lose his faith, if, if David could lose his faith, if Thomas, on the day of the resurrection, he wasn't there on the Sunday night service as the ten disciples testified, we've seen the Christ, he's alive. We've witnessed, and Thomas said those words, except I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. From time to time, even the best disciples can lose their faith. And so disciples of doubt can happen with the greatest of believers, but then doubt and losing your faith can happen with the greatest of beliefs. I know I'm a child of God. I know I've been saved, and all God's people said amen to me. I know I've been born again. I received Christ as my Savior. I'm going to heaven when I die. I believe the Bible would be the very word of God, every word of it. But there's sometimes when God's come to me, and, or rather Satan's come to me and whispered in my ear, and he says, yea, hath God said. I wonder if every word of God is true. I wonder if the Bible is true. I wonder... From time to time, if you're honest, Jesus is the only way to heaven. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And yet there's been times in my life where I thought, is Jesus the only way? Maybe, 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 maybe there's just another way. There's, you ever have this thought? We have a God. I know whom I believed. I, I believe in the God of the Bible, the God of heaven, the one and only true God. But how do we know we're the right ones? What about those Muslims? What about those, there's a billion plus of them on planet Earth. And they say Allah is God. They cry jihad. And they ask for cleansing, of course. Maybe they're right. Maybe we're wrong. Satan comes and whispers in your ear. Is there really a place called hell? I'm afraid there is, according to the word of God. But sometimes in my belief system, my unbelief, I, I don't want to believe in hell. I don't want to believe my relatives that never received Christ as Savior are going to go there. I have doubt. I have doubt about the Word of God. I have doubt about heaven. I have doubt, doubt, doubt about Jesus. I have doubt about the right God. You say, preacher, you're a bad person. I believe I'm going to live forever, though, in heaven forever and ever because I've been born again. But forever is a long time to comprehend. I don't know about you, but I blow fuses. Do we really live forever and ever and ever, children of God? The Bible says we do. Then I asked a more practical question. Does God actually hear my prayers? He's got the stars of heaven more than the sands, grains of the sands of the seashore. And he has them all called by, he, has, he knows all their names. He knows the number of hairs upon her head. He's, he's a busy God. He's got a lot of things to take care of in this universe. And yet he hears my prayer. Does he really hear my prayer? 
If the greatest disciple, the greatest believer in what Jesus Christ said, the greatest believer in the history of Christendom, in the history of the, the, the world at that time, John the Baptist could have doubts. If David, the man after God's own heart, could lose his faith. If Moses and Abraham and on and on we could go, Elijah and Elisha, all these great men of God, if they can lose their faith, we can be guilty from time to time to lose our faith. We're in big company. Well, I want to talk about John and his experience in the dungeon of faith. Pardon me, in the dungeon of doubt, I should say. John evidently had doubts. And Webster's Dictionary gives a definition of what doubt is. It means to waver or fluctuate in opinion, to hesitate, to be in suspense, to be in uncertainty, respecting the truth or fact, to be undetermined. He sent his disciples and he said, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Have I been wrong about who Jesus is? Webster's doubt, to fear, to be apprehensive, to suspect, to question, or to hold questionable, to withhold assent from, to hesitate, to believe, to fear, to distrust, to withhold confidence from, to be filled with fear. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7, the Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But I would suspect to you, I, I think from this text alone, we can find out that John, John the Baptist, the greatest man that ever was born or woman, he, had, he, lost his, he lost some of his faith. He was in a dungeon of doubt. And uh, I think as we examine the verses, look at verse number two one more time here now. Now when John was, had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? I think that in the dungeon of doubt, I think that in John's life that discouragement set in over unexpected bad circumstances. He didn't expect to see himself and he didn't prognosticate or see that Herod was going to throw him in prison for preaching the word of God. You know, it's a practical application here this morning to begin with, but first of several things that happened to John evidently in the dungeon of doubt, he got discouraged over his present current circumstances. He's in prison. He's not in a, no, no offense, he's not in a Connecticut prison with a TV and three, three, three meals and a cot. He's in a filthy prison of, we can't even, of unimaginable horror, probably made Auschwitz look like a Sunday school picnic. Uh, daily executions, no doubt, by the most gruesome of ways. He's not finding, he didn't find himself there. Well, here's the first observation. Know that bad things happen, and in some cases, really bad things happen to God's people. I think of uh, Jennifer and Ben Brown. Some of you know who that is. Jennifer and Ben, two years ago, we had a funeral here at our church. They go to another church, another gospel preaching church. They lost their 11-month-old baby girl in the most horrific way. In fact, it's so horrific, just even thinking about it uh, is not pleasant, to say the least. And I, I don't even want to describe it, of course, the horror as they stood there and watch their girl go into eternity. Bad things happen to good people. Circumstances you never want to be in. Remember that was a, 
very tough day, that two and a half hour funeral we had here at the church. My brother-in-law, Mark Sullivan, I've used him many times, the nicest guy you ever want to meet in your life. 51 years of age, he's in heaven now. Wife, four kids, grandkids, choir director, or rather a music director, played the organ, the treasurer in his church, just all around great guy, never missed church, great worker, great, built a great company, friend of friends. He gets the most progressive form of brain cancer possible. In 14 months, he goes from full health to, to meeting the Lord, of course. Bad things happen to good people. You, you find yourself in circumstances you didn't wish for. Jeremiah, if we were to turn to Jeremiah 20, let's not turn there for time's sake, but Jeremiah is put in stocks and cast in prison at least two different times, some things three times, and he's going to die a martyr's death for, for the crime of preaching the gospel or preaching the word of God to the unrepentant uh, countrymen of his, the Jews. He said in Ju Jeremiah 27, he's, he basically said, I've had enough. I'm, my circumstances are overwhelming. They're discouraging. He said, Lord... Thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in daily derision. Everyone mocketh me. He basically is saying, Lord, look what I got for preaching and being faithful to your word. You, I thought you were a good God, and I've been, I've been deceived. I've got nothing but heartache ever since I started, since I've obeyed you. Verse number 8 of chapter 20. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil because of the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. He said, it's just got me in trouble by preaching the word of God. John the Baptist was in trouble because he did right. Sometimes, again, bad things happen to good people that do right. Jeremiah made a determination in the next verse. He said, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. He said, I'm not going to speak your word anymore. It just gets me in trouble. I'm not going to do it. And I'm discouraged. And, but he went on to say in that verse, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up on my bones. And I, I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. He said, I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I have to preach the word of God. I have to be found faithful. Sometimes those Discouragement could come in a dungeon of doubt because of unexpected circumstances that we didn't plan. But then, I think secondly, possibly, and I know it's conjecture here, but something got John so discouraged that he questioned who, who Jesus Christ was. He questioned whether he was the real, true Messiah. And I think sometimes, I think John's sitting in prison, we don't know how many weeks or months he was in prison at this time, but it, was, it, was, it could have been several weeks, several months at this point in time. I think in the Dungeon of Doubt, disappointment can come over the Messiah's not so soon coming. Almost certainly, John thought that Jesus would naturally deliver him. Although he, he knew all the stories. He knew about Daniel in the lion's den. He knew about the three Hebrew children. He knew about being delivered from fire. He, did, he knew all the stories about Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and how God killed their enemy. He knew about... Uh, Gideon and his 300. He knew about David and the shepherd boy and Goliath. He knew of the great deliverances and certainly the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the cousin of the Lord Jesus, the, the one that proclaimed the, the, the year of the Lord, an acceptable year of the Lord and the coming of the Messiah, the one who baptized him. Certainly the Lord Jesus would come and deliver him in one way or another in a spectacular way. 
And if we're not careful, we can be a scoffer when it comes to thinking about the soon coming of the Lord. We say, we can say, just like saying Peter chapter 3 and verse number 5, where is the promise of his coming? I've been preaching the coming of Christ. I've known about the coming of Christ since I was a teenage boy, even a tween, I guess. I've given my testimony many hundreds of times over the years as I saved it in that little country church in Ohio on a 11-year-old boy. And I heard about the coming of Christ, of course. And uh, I've been preaching it for 40-plus years now, 45 years of my life, that Jesus is coming again. And here I am, 65 years old, and he still hasn't come. It's been a half a century, and he hasn't come. I'm t- I'm, I take my grandson, Carter boy, I call him, to first grade to TCA in the Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. And uh, I'm teaching him American history in the, in the school of grandpa, I call it. And uh, I'm teaching him the birthday of America, July 4, 1776, and the Constitution and so forth, the Declaration of Independence and so forth. And, and I and teaching about the birthday of our country that were 247 years old. And, and I said, Grandpa's 65. I'm, I'm one-fourth. I'm as old as uh, four of me, and we'd be back to the Revolutionary War days. He said, Grandpa, you're old. And, uh, and I've been preaching for 50 years. This is soon coming. Well, mark it, it hasn't come yet, but mark it down. He's coming again. He is coming, and he's coming soon. There's no doubt. I'm going to leave this world with a shout. One thing I know for a fact, his, soon, his coming is sooner today than it was yesterday. And we see the events happening in, in uh, Israel in these last eight days. Some people are asleep and switch and not paying attention. Somebody told me last week, as a matter of fact, shortly after we prayed for the peace of Jerusalem, they said, Pastor, don't pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If peace of Jerusalem comes, then, then the rapture won't happen. Well, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 37, for yet a little while and he shall come, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Jesus is going to come right on time when he's ordained to come. He's going to come. He's definitely coming again. But John said, the Messiah is going to come and deliver me. And yet he didn't come. I want to go by way of rapture, not by rupture. I don't know about you. I want to go by way of, of chariot, not by the river Jordan. I don't want to go to the valley of shadow of death and not come out. But he's definitely coming soon, but it may not be in your lifetime. Pastor Rich was here Thursday night from Jackson, Michigan. He drove 750 miles on Friday to get home for Saturday morning, 10 a.m. funeral. Had a lady that died last week, a week ago, and he buried her yesterday. And last week she was alive and well, and she suddenly, she was an older lady, but she suddenly died, a little unexpected. And she's, she's in heaven today. She's a child of God. Before this week is out by Saturday, we may have a funeral. Maybe my funeral. <laughs> Maybe your funeral. Maybe someone unexpected. And we may not go by way of rapture, but as a child of God, we may have to go by way of River Jordan, or by death, in other words. John was, maybe he was disappointed in the dungeon of doubt over the fact that the Messiah wasn't so soon in his coming. But thirdly, conjecture here, I know, but maybe there was outright disillusionment that came because the Savior seemingly doesn't, him not caring. There's no record, you see, we have, we have chapters, collectively speaking, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, of the life of John the Baptist. And there's not one record, not one verse in Scripture other than the verses that we have before us, verses 7 through 13 that we didn't read, where John, or rather Jesus gives an accolade towards, towards John, but we see no record whatsoever that Jesus did anything to get John out of prison. 
None. And John maybe was disillusioned and said, maybe does, does Jesus care? The psalmist said, no man cared for my soul. The psalmist also said, when my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord shall lift me up. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said, uh, he cares for us. And uh, there's the, the care of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. And uh, the disciples in Matthew, Mark chapter 4, we need not turn there, but in the hinder part of the ship, and Jesus was sleeping rather in the, the, the lower holds of the, the ship. I got to sail on the Sea of Galilee in a ship much like we believe Jesus sailed in with his disciples. And storms can come up rather fast and temp they're tempestuous and can be life-threatening. And the disciples in Mark chapter 4, they ran down and they, asked, they woke up the Lord Jesus and they said, Master, care so not that we perish. Sometimes we think that Jesus doesn't care. He died for you, he cares. He lives for you, he cares. He's coming again, he cares. He's prepared a place for you, he cares. The songwriter said, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind and true. But John got to the point of disillusionment, evidently in his life, where he wondered if the Savior even cared. Remember the poem, I'm going back 30 plus years ago, maybe 40 years ago now it's been, when that poem first came out, Footprints. And one, two footprints in the sand, of course, and many of you know the poem I'm talking about, some of you don't, but then as the the poem goes on, of course, there's only one footprint in the sand, and that person thought, well, I'm walking this earthly life all myself. And then they were reminded that, no, that's when Jesus was carrying you. That's when he, he carries us through. John thought he's doing this, this prison thing all by himself, but Jesus was there all along. Letter, four, letter D, rather, in the dungeon of doubt, maybe... John had deception spawned regarding an absence of supernatural conquest or deliverances. Listen to me. He was in the league with Moses, the lawgiver and the leader of the Exodus who performed many miracles. John was in that class, if you will. He performed, Moses performed numerous miracles. Elijah performed eight recorded, specifically recorded miracles. The greatest maybe prophet in the Old Testament was Elijah. Elijah wanted a double portion, and he recorded that he performed 16 miracles, double the amount of miracles that, that Elijah performed. Later on, Peter and John and the disciples and Paul himself would all work miracles, raise people from the dead, heal the blind, cause the lame to walk again. But the Bible says in John 10, 41, the greatest man that was ever born of woman, Jesus said. In John 10, 41, the Bible says that John did no miracles. But all the things that John spake of this man were true of the Lord Jesus Christ. John didn't do any miracles. And yet he was in the class with all the miracle workers. Sometimes we can get miffed, if I can use that phrase. We can get deceived that God's more for, he takes care of other Christians in a supernatural way, and they have great conquests and great deliverances, and we don't. John's not going to have a great deliverance on this earth. He's getting ready to lose his head. I don't know if he knew it, but he asked the question, twofold question, 
Art thou he who that should come, or do we seek for, look for another? And I want to give you the fifth problem that maybe plagued John in this dungeon of doubt. And that is, if he wasn't careful, it didn't happen to him, but defection can result if not spiritually chastened. I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, for sake of time, or not, let me just quote you a verse. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks about the chastening of the, chastening of the Lord, and every child whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every one. But defection can result if not spiritually chastened. If you're not chastened of the Lord, you're not one of God's children, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. Thank God for the, we call it, to tell our kids the Jesus spankings that he gives us from time to time. He loves us, he cares for us, and he chastens us. He chastens us in love, of course. And if we're not chastened, we're, the Bible uses the word bastards. We're not, we're illegitimate children. We're not children of God. And, but John was being chastened even as he was in prison, of course, and so it caused him not to defect. Pastor Rich used his first Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, Thursday night at our special meeting. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. There's many Christians that have defected from the work of God. I know preachers that have defected from the work of God. I know devout Christians that have defected from the work of God and they're no longer serving the Lord. They're no longer abiding faithful, yet he's always faithful. God's always faithful. And, but we don't see, fortunately John did not defect, but this bitterness can creep in when things, you got bad circumstances, so you get discouraged when you get disappointment because Christ's not coming to deliver you, when it disillusionment, when he doesn't seem to even care. Deception, when others are miraculously delivered and you can't do anything about your situation. An infection that can result in spiritually chastened, chastened of the Lord, of course. But I want to give you, back to our text now, Matthew chapter, four, chapter 11, verse number 4. I want you to notice how do, how do we, Jesus begins to destroy this doubt in John Baptist and his disciples' lives. Jesus answered and said, verse 4, unto them, Go and show John, the word that arrested my attention a couple weeks ago when I read this passage is the next word, again. Go and show John again. I first met Jesus as an 11-year-old boy in a country church in Ohio. I've already given the testimony. It was a revival meeting. I went to church. I didn't even know what a revival meeting was. I was a kid. I didn't know the words. I didn't know the, the religious jargon. I sat in the second row, it was a center aisle church, country church, 50, 75 people on this side, 50, 75 people on that side. Church was packed. I sat in the second row and the gospel was preached. A place called hell was described. And I grew up in a home where I heard a lot of people saying to a lot of people to go there. And uh, I knew hell was a real place, although I'd never been there. And the gospel, the invitation call was given. They sang, just as I am without one plea. I didn't know the song at the time, but I, I, I think I heard it the first time there. And I came forward, and I came to the front altar at the invitation call, and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's, that day, I looked to Jesus to save me. Looking at Jesus again, uh, I looked to Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we are also accompanied by with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which is so easy to be set as and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author, 
Jesus saved my soul on that day, that 11-year-old boy. I didn't go back to church for another five years, just here and there, hit and miss. My family didn't go to church. I didn't go to church. But Jesus never left me. He was the author. He's the beginner of the, the alpha of my salvation, the, the first and last. And he saved me that day. And Jesus said to the disciples, John, he says to us, when you, you want to destroy doubt, look to Jesus again. Look to Jesus again. He's the author and finisher of our faith. We walk by faith. Don't look to a man. It breaks my heart and I have to be evasive on purpose. Another pastor friend of mine, a better man than me, and I'm not being humble when I say that, just being truthful. Longer serves the Lord as long as I've served the Lord. Had a fall, just defaulted. And he's no longer preaching, he's no longer in church as of just recent weeks. Some people look to him, I'm sure. Don't look to me, whatever you do, don't look to me. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on the Savior. John was looking in all the wrong places. John needed to look at Jesus again. He's the author and finisher of faith. Look what he's already done for you, first of all. If you're here as a child of God, he saved you. He saved you from an everlasting hell. He's given you an everlasting heaven. You're going, you, you were the father, children of the, the wicked one, the devil, and now you're a child of God. You're, you've been bought by his blood. You've been cleansed, made perfectly clean, whole by the blood of Christ. He loves you like nobody ever else ever loved you your spouse, your mother included. He carries you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know, he's going to take you to live with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's the God that you, when you're filled with doubt, that you need to look to. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said in verse number four, Jesus answered and said unto them succinctly, go and show John again those things which ye hear. Notice if you're going to get out of the valley of the dungeon of doubt, we want to destroy that doubt, look to Jesus again. But secondly, hear his words again. Go and show John again those things which ye do hear. The Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Read your Bible every day. We prayed for our missionary, Scott Childs, this morning. He's in Perth, Australia. Scott's, I'm 65, so he's 66 or 67. We were roommates our senior year. He's been on a mission field for almost 50 years now, 45, 47 years, something like that. He'd been faithful. I remember, I, I think I'd safely say this. Scott would be mad at me right now if I said it, but I'm going to say it anyhow. He's not here to hear it. But I, I would be, if I were a bed man, I'd take out a mortgage and bet that Scott Childs has not missed one day in his Bible in the last 50, 60 years of his life. He's in his Bible every single day. First thing he does before he eats a bite of food is he, he's in his Bible. He's been preaching faithfully in Perth and before that for 15 years in New Guinea until he got 10 bouts of malaria and almost died. Now he's in Perth, Australia, preaching the gospel faithfully. And he, he reads the word of God every day. The psalmist said, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Read God's, read it yourself every day. Read it again. I don't say this boastfully, brainly. I say it almost embarrassingly as a preacher. I've only read my Bible through, I think, 39 times. I read it through every year. 
I know Christians have read their Bible through hundreds of times. It's not a contest to see who can read the Bible through necessarily, but being in the Word of God. You know, I eat pretty much every day of my life. Did you notice that? Uh, you, you, you eat, I see some of you, some of you eat every day of your life too, of course. And we have our daily manna. How much more so we need to read the Word of God or have our daily manna again. You read it yesterday, read it today. And then hear the Word of God, read it yourself, but then go to hear the words of God to the sanctuary of God. Pastor Rich did a masterful job referencing Psalm 73 uh, Thursday night again about uh, the psalmist's feet had almost well nigh slipped when he considered the the prosperity of the wicked. And the whole song, he said, Psalm, it was too painful for him when he said, it, it doesn't pay to serve God. The r- wicked are blessed and the righteous are cursed. Then he says in verse 17 of Psalm 73, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. When you come to the word of God, to the house of God, rather, to the church of God, you hear the word of God preach and it should be managed for your soul. It should be a special spiritual boost. It should help you. It should you need to hear the words of God. You need to hear them preached. You need to read it yourself. You need to make it part of your life. So uh, getting out of the, 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 the dungeon of doubt requires that you look to Jesus again, again and again and again. You hear his words again. But then Jesus finished up the, the admonition to his two disciples of John in verse 4. He said, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. And then he describes what they saw. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have preached the gospel, have the gospel preached to them. God is still saving souls. God's still doing wonders. God says, see his works, see his wonders, which you hear and see. We've seen with our own eyes the transformation of one of the most powerful testimonies that God is real is the transformation of a changed life in Jesus Christ. If I could pick on Jeff, he won't mind me picking. He's one of those guys, he doesn't mind me picking on him, so I'm picking on Jeff. Jeff's an old-time Christian now. He's been saved for a whole nine months. He got saved in December 11th, last year, of course. He's been on fire for the Lord. He's a transformed life. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new again. This is a confession. I get away from the pulpit because I'm embarrassed, but I'll say it anyhow. There was a day when Marty Schott, Pastor Schott, led a lot more people to the Lord than I lead today to the Lord. I could be wrong. I probably am wrong, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Uh, it seems to me like it's harder to lead people to the Lord in 2023 than it was in 1985. In fact, it seems a lot harder to me. And, uh, but people are still getting saved. Their lives are still being changed. God's still on the throne. Faith is still the way to access heaven. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. But even our best faith, God's called us to be, we're saved by faith, but then we're supposed to be walking by faith. Then we're to live by faith. And in John's case, he was going to die by faith. That executioner would come in and no deliverance here, not earthly deliverance. The order is given. Salome talks, or the, the temptress talks, and says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Okay, go. The executioner goes, and minutes later, John's head is, comes into the banquet room in a charger. 
He dies by faith. But John, one last verse we didn't look at, verse number six, our last verse of our text. Jesus said, And blessed is he whose servant shall not be offended in me. John didn't default. John was not offended. John endured to the end. John kept his faith. And one day I look forward to meeting John. But John had some doubts. Now I come full circle. I'm done in two minutes here. Hang with me. Even the best of Christians, even in our best faith, from time to time, seeds of doubt can arise. We can question. The greatest man that ever lived, John the Baptist, questioned. David, the man after God's own heart, lost his faith. Elijah lost his faith. He requested he die. Are we better than they? I think not. I'm, I'm reminded I'm kind of like the man in Mark chapter 9, and maybe you're like him too. He's the son, he had the son that was a, a demon-possessed. And he came to Jesus and he cried out for help, and when he came to the disciples first, they couldn't do anything for him. Or it said, this kind of goes not out, but faith, by faith and uh, prayer and fasting. But straightway, Jesus came to him, of course, and Straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord said, Does thou believe all things are possible? And this man, and I can relate to him, he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I believe. I believe that the Bible is God's very word. Every word of it. I believe it's God inspired. I believe we have the right God. I have the right God. I believe Jesus is the only Savior. I believe there's a, he saved me from hell, a real hell. I believe I'm going to heaven because of him. I have eternal life. I've been born again, not by my mother, but by the Spirit of God. I've been saved, blood bought, blood washed. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to live forever and ever and ever and ever in heaven. But sometimes Satan comes to me and casts in seeds of doubt. Yea, as God said, and I question, when that happens in your life, and if you're honest with me, I suppose I will name the name of Christ and say it's happened. Understand that we need to go back to faith again. Go back to look at Jesus again. Go back to the word of God again. Go back to seeing the miracles that God's done again. He's still in the miracle working business. And John, the moment that head came off, he was in the very presence of the Lord. And he said, it's worth it all. It was worth it all. He, he was out of the shadow of doubt and in the, the joys of heaven. So faith is the anvil that breaks all the hammers of doubt. Faith is the anvil that breaks all the hammers of doubt. And faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.